Here at Doxedo Bloom, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message. And today we're going to kick off a new series uh, for the next three weeks, talking about this thing, about 2020, talking about your life and my life in this new season. Um, and when we talk about this 2020 vision, we're not talking about the church's vision um, in the next three weeks. We're talking about the vision for your life. What is God saying to you and what lies ahead in terms of your life? Now, of course, this is the crazy season of New Year's resolutions. Um, some guys already gave up on theirs. Anybody here? <laughs> some said, well, seeing that it was Wednesday the, f- the first, so we'll start Monday. Anybody here with the idea of maybe starting Monday? I, 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 just, I just Googled and asked something about New Year's resolutions. Google is amazing. Listen to this. Um, in 2017, the YouGov survey, they found that the top three New Year's resolutions, you don't have to raise your hand uh, if this applies, uh, in 2018 was eating healthier, going or getting more exercise, and saving more money. <laughs> Anybody can uh, connect with that? And then they did the same survey a year later. And guess what were the top three? (laughs) Eating healthier, getting more exercise, and saving money. And then they said, maybe we're missing the mark because every year we're doing the same thing. And I think they they kind of claim this this quote to, uh, to Edison. I don't know if it's true, but he said, if you do the same thing over and over and hope that you get different results, you are qualifying as insane. So any insane people here today? <laughs> Definitely a few hands. Um, I said Monday, you know, the weekend is a terrible t- time to, st- to start something new. But let's, let's just quickly think about this year. Think about God's plan for our lives in this year. And, you know, sometimes I can't, I can't decide what is worse. Having New Year's resolutions that we do not commit to or not having at all. Because sometimes I think that's even, that might even be worse. Just going into a new season, going into a new year with no expectation, well, I suppose you will be very accurate. If you do not have any expectation, you will not see anything happen. But I, I, I always want to ask the question in terms of this year, if we can look at it out of a different perspective. You know, the the thing about 2020 really stirred my heart in the understanding that the term 2020 is a a visionary um, term. Uh, So if you go to have your eyes tested, they will talk about 2020 vision. And I actually had to go Google it and find out what does it mean. And it basically means that if you stand at an object 20 feet away from it and you see it in the right way that a person ought to see it. 20 feet away from the object, you have 2020 vision. So if your vision is impaired in some way, you will need to stand closer to see it in a correct way. So 2020 vision means having clear vision. Doesn't mean having perfect vision. Doesn't mean that you, you, you kind of have some superpower in terms of vision. It just means that you have a clear understanding of what lies ahead. 
And when I read this, it almost stirred in my heart this thought about if we as children of God can in this year not have a bunch of New Year's resolutions, not a bunch of goals that we set out and within a month we kind of give up and say, listen, this didn't work, so maybe next year. But what if we could look at this year and ask God just for one thing? And that is giving us a clear vision for this year. Giving us something of an understanding. Maybe we can call it a divine direction. You see, I think the biggest problem with the New Year's resolutions are the fact that we sometimes hope that in one decision, we will change everything. That's the thing of a New Year's resolution. This year, I'm going to save money. And then by the end of January, which nobody told us is actually 64 days long, we realize, oh goodness, I didn't do it in January. Then I give up. But you see, the thing about vision is it's not one big decision. It's 10,000 small steps. That's a vision. You know, if you, if you ask me in terms of the church, where are we headed? We are headed in terms of vision in trusting God to transform a city. If we, if we looked at that vision out of the perspective of a resolution, we will give up saying, no, goodness, this is just too big. We, we, we can't do it. But it's not one big decision. It's 10,000 small directional steps. Every time we do something, we ask the question, will this help that vision? If it doesn't, we don't take that step. See, the great thing about a vision, it's not actually saying what you're going for. It's actually a, a safeguard to say where you're not going, what you're not going to do. That's the heart of a vision. If a church has a clear vision, it's very easy for a leader to say, no, we're not going to do that. Even though it's a great idea, even though the neighboring church are doing it, even though it's the trend, we're not doing it because that's not God's vision for us. We can say no, because we understand. We have clarity. And I think I want to share two principles this morning in terms of this visionary thing that if we understand we have a clear direction of where we're moving, it's going to take away the pressure of trying to do something. I, I'm, I was stirred last year. And I'm going to probably mention this quite a few times during this year. Just in the story of, of Joshua, this, this young man taking over leadership from Moses and taking responsibility for this few, these few million people that came out of slavery. Uh, we all know the story in Exodus, God taking his people out of Egypt, out of slavery. Then he takes them kind of to a quick connection to the promised land. They look at the, at the giants in the promised land and they say, oh, we won't be able to, to take over this land. And God kind of says, yes, I knew it. And then he takes them into a journey of 40 years in the desert. And I look at the story of being in the desert for 40 years. I suppose looking at it out of a perspective of getting something done, out of a, an effectiveness perspective, it wasn't very effective. We must say to God, God kind of took 40 years 
to move people what could have taken just two months? Why did you take 40 years? And the, the thing about the, the 40 years is the fact that God looked at his people and he realized this is the big thing for Israel. It is not what I tell you to do. It's not about doing. It's about being. It's about being. God is interested and cares about who we are way more than he's interested in what we're doing. And he takes them on this journey. And, and I actually put it on the screen. I don't want to read the whole portion. But in Joshua chapter 6, when, when, when God speaks to Joshua, and it's like this crazy portion of Scripture, but it's at the end of a 40-year journey of becoming something. A 40-year journey where every Israelite woke up every morning seeing God's provision in the fact that there was food to eat. Experiencing God's grace in water to drink. Experiencing God's grace in protection for 40 years in the desert. God speaks to Joshua and he says... Now I'm giving you the city. And then he introduces this crazy idea. He says, this is how it's going to work. You don't have an army. You don't have weapons. You're not nearly equipped enough to take over the city. What you're going to do is you're going to walk around the city once every for seven days. And I can, I can just see Joshua thinking, okay, seven days is going to be quite dangerous, you know, walking around the city. These guys are heavily armed. They've got armies. They, they really, they, they, they sort it out. And then God, and, and I suppose jo Joshua thinking, you know, the seventh day, God's actually going to send down angel armies or something. There's going to be some army that's going to come and help us because we need to do this thing. We need to take the city. And then God says, now on the seventh day, you walk around the city seven times, making sure you get all your steps. The watchers will be happy, happy that day. Discovery is going to smile. And then he says, the seventh time, what do you do? You celebrate. He said, shout. Shout in celebration. Blow the trumpets of celebration. And what will happen? The walls will come down. Do you see the connection of God investing in people's lives for 40 years and building them up in a faith expectation that puts them into a place where they believe how crazy the idea might be that if you celebrate God, walls will come down. You see, that's the heart of vision. The, the, the fact that they continually had to walk around that city almost gives me the picture of divine direction every day. It's not about the doing because there's no sense in the doing. Walking around a city is not going to help to actually take the city. But there's a sense of being after, after being in the presence of God for 40 years, after experiencing God's hand and, and re being reprogrammed in faith. They believe that God can do what no man can do. You see, and maybe over our New Year's resolutions, we need to write this. 
We trust God to do what no man can do. We trust God to see, to to give us this heart of celebration as we enter into this season to see Him do what we can't. But then our focus would need to be on becoming and not doing. It's on becoming. You know, many people will sit here and say, Listen, you're almost talking strange language now. What should I become? <laughs> what should I become? What is this becoming thing? And, and I read the scripture, an amazing one. It says in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 3, it says, this is the will of God. You want to know the will of God for your life this year? This is the will of God. He says, this is the will of God. Your sanctification. Your holiness. Now, usually when you use the word holiness, you can see the little tremble going through the crowd. Because holiness sounds like a whole lot of hard work. Because many times when we use the word holiness, we actually have a doing, a doing in mind. And this is said, the scripture, the context of the scripture is actually against immorality. It's saying, this is the will of God. Do not go into immorality. What's important to God is your sanctification. It's your holiness. That's important to God. And when we read the word sanctification, when we read the word holy, and we think, okay, this is what God says. In this year, I need to be holy immediately. We're very intimidated by it. But you see, the gospel is good news. It's good news. And it's not a gospel of doing It's a gospel of discovering being. It's discovering what Christ has made you. And and if we we read the Bible and we say, okay, it's all about holiness. Holiness means being set apart, being different, doing things in a different way, being set apart for something special. That's the word holiness. What's the will of God that you and I would be different? Do you hear in what God is saying? It's not about what you do. It's about who you are. But then listen to this, and this is probably one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. He says, for consider your calling. It's in the ESV. Brothers, you can raise your hands if you qualify. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Anybody here that's considering themselves wise? He says, not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. Anybody here of noble birth? Blue blood. Anybody? Maybe that Omar in London related to the queen. Nobody. What is is Paul saying? He's saying, listen guys, we're in a situation of we're disqualified. We, 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 we haven't got what it takes. In, in, in terms of our calling, in terms of where God is taking us, almost none of us can say that we qualify. But then listen to this. This is the good news. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. You hear the first word is the word disqualified. The second word is the word chosen. God chose people that are not wise, that are not strong or powerful, and that are not of noble birth. Say so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And then verse 30. It says the following, and because of him, you are. If ever you understand something of the gospel, is this little sentence. Because of him, you are. Because of him, you are. He says, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us the wisdom of God, the righteousness, and the sanctification and redemption. You see, many of us have this picture when God says your sanctification is important to him. Who you are in this year is very important to him. What's happening in your life, the, the identity thing on the inside is important to him. And we hear the word sanctification. We think, I should not do this. I should not sin this. I should rather do this. That's holiness. Holiness is not what you do. Holiness is a person. Someone became your holiness. And his name is Jesus. I don't know, sometimes the church sees holiness as a picture of God saving us by grace. And then he says, okay, guys, now you be holy, but it's all up to yourself. Now you sort out this thing. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is one in which the person that became our redemption on the cross also became our identity of holiness. I am holy not because I'm sinless. I am holy because I am in Christ. His holiness was put on me. It was bestowed on me. I received holiness as a gift from God. It is a being thing. He is my holiness. I am holy because of him. Therefore, I am qualified. You see, the, the, the thing of identity is seeing and discovering who we are. I love it. I, I, I was reading John, John 20 and it just I, I'm not a all sentimental guy about 2020 and everything. So I don't every year like read Psalm 20 because it's 2020 or I just don't do things like that. But I read John 20 verse 20 and it said, it's Jesus and he spoke and showed them the wounds in his hand and in his side. And then listen to this. And they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. What is, what is John 2020 about? What is the year 2020 about? What is this being thing about? It is about seeing him. Was it that the disciples were impressed when they saw his wounds? No. No. 
they were confronted with the victory of the cross. There he stood alive, conqueror over death and sin, paying the price, qualifying humankind, making unwise people wise, making powerless people powerful, making people that has no nobility, people of nobility. They were confronted with the mirror of Christ standing before them and they realized that in him, if they see him, they will see themselves in a different way. You see, divine direction for 2020 would not be sorting out what needs to be done this year. It will be finding yourself in him. If you want to see that list of goals, that list of amazing good ideas and godly ideas come to reality in your life, it would not be trying harder to get it done. It would be seeing him more, seeing more of him seeing the reality of the victory of Christ, finding and losing and, and rooting yourself in him. That would be divine direction. That's not going to be one big decision. It's not possible to make one big decision today and say, okay, this year I'm going to get to know Jesus better. That's not what I'm saying. But in the 10,000 moments of the next few months, if in every one I decide I live to find myself in Him, I will change. That's the reality. These disciples, where they stand there, they were, they were locked up and scared and afraid of everybody. But when they saw him, they started celebrating. They were filled with joy. They opened the doors and they went outside. And you know the reality of the most of these disciples is that they were killed. They were murdered for his name. What happened? They saw him. They saw him. And when we see him, we become. Something changes in us. Divine direction would mean that I find myself in him in every moment of life. You know, that's why it's so important to read your Bible. Because in the Bible, you see the picture of him. This is the most accurate picture we have of Jesus. Me and my children were having a fight last night. Or a big our argument, because I look at this, this current generation, and I don't know if you see it, but they take pictures all the time. Like literally, I sometimes need to tell my children, put away the cameras, the phones, and just enjoy the moment. You are so capturing the moment that you're ruining it. Ruining it. You know, it's, it's like if we serve a meal, they first have to take a picture of it. I mean, by the time the picture is taken, the food is cold. And you put it on Instagram and everybody says, what an amazing meal. But it sucked. It was terrible because it was cold. They were so busy capturing the moment. 
And I said, I remember in the olden days. And I, when I said it, I thought, okay, this is terrible. I shouldn't say this because it makes me feel terribly old. But this is the truth. Do you still remember anybody over 40? That taking a photograph was something special. You didn't like take 40 pictures of something. You took one because it was quite expensive. <laughs> then you had to take it into CNA, and they had to kind of develop this thing, and then you took, you, you got, got to CNA, and you, you took it out, and you said, wow, look at this picture, and then you went home, and you put it in an album, and then some Sunday evenings, when you were sitting around the fire in the winter, you take out the album, and you page through it, and you'll have like this amazing moments. Now I see them taking pictures. Millions, but nobody's looking at it. You know, it's like I take the picture, I post it, I count the likes. Sometimes I think that's the problem with Christianity as well. We're crazy in taking all the pictures, but a picture needs to be looked at. It needs to be enjoyed. You need to recall the beauty of that moment. My children looking at a picture of me while we had this argument, I went and I got one of the albums, that old dusty albums, just to prove the case. And, and they looked at it and they saw one of me at the age of 18 on the beach. <laughs> And they were like, did you look like this? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> were you actually also sexy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> How do you think I got your mom? <laughs> it's something you treasure. And, and when, when, when John 20, 20 plays off, it is the disciples taking this picture of a risen, victorious Christ, the one that paid the price, the one that changed the destiny of humankind. And they saw the qualification. They saw the power. They saw the nobility that's in them as they looked at him. What is the most important thing for this year? Is it trying harder? I so wish it was just trying harder because it's so easy to explain. Listen, this is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. And it's easy to explain, but impossible to do. Don't you agree? We try harder only for a day, and then we give up. But what Jesus says is, look at me. Look at me. See me. See me in my word. See me when we corporately worship. See me in this family. See me in the community group. See me. Build your life around moments where we take out the album and we look at him. See me when you wake up in the morning. Not religiously reading your Bible and trying to squeeze in a little prayer before you go to work. 
see me. Capture that moment of relationship in seeing Christ. And the same will happen. This young man, Joshua, crazy enough to believe God that if you celebrate enough, God will give you what is humanly impossible. That's the guy. And that day, when they went around the city for the seventh time, this was the guy that said, God said, if we will shout and celebrate him, the walls will come down. And guess what? We know what happened there because it's recorded. They were walking around the city, not doing taking the city, being taking the city. And the seventh time, they shouted. And there was no army. There were no weapons. There were no angels coming down, making a big scene. The only thing that they saw were walls coming down. And no wonder that the Bible says of this man, it says in Joshua 6, verse 7, or 27, so the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was in all the land. Why? Why would people take notice of this guy? Because he believed God could do what no man can do. And the only reason he could believe that was because he saw him. For 40 years, he saw him in every moment, in every breakfast. He'd go outside the tent, and there it was, post toasties again. Manna. God provided again. What would be the big thing for divine direction in 2020? Might it be John 20, verse 20? I love the way that Paul puts it in Colossians 3. Listen to this from verse 8. He says, but now you must put them all away. And this is now sanctification. He says, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. I can just see this church, as Paul says this, says this being very afraid of the next year. How am I? I don't even know what malice and slander, what's the difference between them. Now I must put them away. But then he explains. He says, don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off all the you have put off the old self with its practices. Listen to this, verse 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the what? The image of the creator. He says, we need to take off the old and put on the new. How is that done? It is by seeing the image of the creator. And then this beautiful verse, he says, here 
There's no Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian. I don't know what that is, slave, free. But Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. This is God speaking over our lives. This is who we are. He says, holy and beloved, after being God's chosen one, after being holy and being beloved, then put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And above all, all these things put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. What's God's will for your life in 2020? It's being, not doing. And being is the result of seeing Him. Let's pray together. Father, as we, as we enter into this new year, almost tempted to, to draw up our lists and our desires to draw up our lists of doings, what we want to accomplish in this year, what we want to do, all our resolutions, and sometimes even the lack of it. Lord, will you come and this morning stir in our hearts that the result of this year will not depend on the quality of my goals, but on the quality of my journey with the one. Lord, stir in our hearts this morning a new desire to see you in the morning as we open scriptures, to hear you as we pray. Stir in our hearts as we come together to see your grace, to see your salvation, to see your redemption. Stir in our hearts as we reach out to a city to see your grace, to see you in everything in our lives, to in the millions and millions of small steps that lies ahead in this year to only see one thing and that is you the picture of your grace of your victory of who you says I am Lord let us see you in this year and thank you that seeing you is enough it's more than enough we do not need to add anything to that. The rest will flow out of that. I prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.